Well, good morning again. Hi, we're in the series called Hang On, and uh, if you've been here with us, we're going through the book of Luke, and this section we're calling Hang On. And, you know, here's the problem with coming up with series for sections of the Bible, is that sometimes, you know, the, the, the title fits, and uh, I told you, if you were here with us before, you know that the series is about how we need to hang on in Jesus as much as we can, especially in times of turbulence. Uh, but sometimes Jesus kind of goes off on a tangent, and it just so happens that today, this title doesn't really work for us. Uh, the, the title, Hang On, doesn't work for us at all. As a matter of fact, it's the, the, the whole point of this sermon is exactly the, is, is the opposite, which is embarrassing. So today, we're not doing a series called Hang On. We're going to be calling it Let Go. Um, and you'll see why at the very end, okay? So, uh, so if, you're, you know, if you've been wondering, like, well, why is this called Hang On? Uh, yeah, this time uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. So, <laughs> so um, through this series, we've been talking about, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus, right? If we're going to be following Jesus, and if you don't know who Jesus is, like, if you read through the scriptures, you'll find out that people who had nothing in common with Jesus, just, they liked Jesus. They just wanted to be around him as much as possible. And so this whole movement started around him, and which is called Christianity and the church. And as people started following Jesus and they started worshiping Jesus, what happened was, you know, okay, so when you worship God in the Old Testament, it's usually in the form of song. You sing songs. So like today, when you, if you came here on time, you sang a few songs with us, and that was, we called that the time of worship. But what we discover in the New Testament is that there's a big shift of worship from just singing songs, playing instruments, dancing, to almost not. It's like, one of the first church leaders, his name is Paul the Apostle, he was almost intentionally trying to pull people away from just singing songs because in the Old Testament there was these issues where people would just sing songs about how much they love God and how much they're devoted to God, but after they're done singing, they're living a lifestyle that has nothing to do with what they just sang. Like, okay, you sing with your lips about how much you love God, but then the way that you're living your life totally doesn't reflect it at all. And so Paul the Apostle, one of the first Christian leaders, he was really pushing for, if you really want to worship God, Stop singing songs. Start living a life that represents the songs that you want to sing. So start living your life as a, and he used the word living sacrifice, which means live sacrificially for the people around you, right? So, so we'll see, and, and so when it comes to worship, it's not just what songs we sing or if we show up to church on time or if we're giving to, you know, certain causes, you know, from our, from our pockets. It's not just that. It's almost like he's expecting us to worship God, not just with words and songs, but also with our lifestyles. So today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 46. And this is the section, we're almost done with chapter 12. And as we get closer and closer to the end of 12, we, we start to see a different side of Jesus that we don't really talk about too much. Uh, but you'll, see, you're, you'll hear a lot about that next week. Next week is going to be kind of harsh, but so if you, yeah. Okay, so um, as we go into Luke chapter 12, towards the end of Luke chapter 12, we're going to be talking about this one thing. Uh, so years and years ago, hundreds of years ago, there's a guy named Martin Luther, and Martin Luther was asked, like, hey, so what is it about, and what is it that we need to do to be fully devoted to Jesus? And his answer was really interesting. He says there's three parts to true conversion. Number one, okay, number one thing is that there's a conversion of the mind. Okay, and the second thing is there's a conversion of the heart. And almost jokingly, he said the third thing is there's a conversion of your wallet. And what he's saying is there's a lot of people out there who are willing to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm going to do everything I can to, to worship you. I'm going to do everything that you want me to do, but don't touch my stuff. 
You know, or like, uh, yeah, uh, in everything I think, I'm going to think about you, God. I'm going to do everything I can to just worship you with my mind, but, but, but don't touch my house. Don't touch my car. Don't touch my bank account. Don't, you know, right? And so today I want to talk about this. What does God want us to do, want me to do, with my stuff? Right? Because when we think about following God, we're like, okay, I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll sing a few songs and I'll listen to this guy just talk for 30 minutes or so and then I'm done, right? <laughs> and, but we never think about, we rarely think about, what are we supposed to do with our stuff? What does God want me to do with my stuff? And so Jesus talks about that in today's passage. So we're going to go straight into that. And Jesus is talking to, a, he's talking to his disciples, 12 of them in front of him. But around the 12 disciples, there's other people there. So there's like a big crowd he's t- teaching to. And this is how he starts. He says this, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So there's two characters in this illustration. There's a servant and there's a master. So when that he, that master, comes, comes back and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Okay, so he's painting this picture, and we'll make it more clear in a few minutes, okay, of a master and a servant. A servant is at home while the master is gone. Okay, so let's keep that in mind right now. And just so you know, weddings in the first century in, in Palestine area, we don't know how long it lasted. It usually lasts anywhere from a day to a week. So it could be a long wedding feast, and nobody knows how long. Usually the wedding feast ends when the wine runs out. So they're like, like is a master home yet? It's like, nope, like, they must have a lot of wine or people aren't drinking. So they're like, we don't know when he's going to come home. He might come back in the middle of the night. He might come back around noon. He might come back you know, at bedtime. He might come back. You know, we don't know when he's coming back. But that's the thing. That's the nature of wedding feasts, is that you don't know when it's going to end. And so if you're a servant at home waiting for your master to come back, you want to make sure that you're ready to open the door for him when he knocks, whether if it's early in the morning, late at night, you know, in the middle of the day, you don't know. So that's the setting, that's the scenario that Jesus is painting for us here, okay? Next verse. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself, he's talking about the master, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Okay, so he says... If when the master comes home, the servants are found to be doing their job, if he's, you know, right? He's like, then the master's going to do something really crazy. What he's going to do is he's going to have them recline at the table. He's going to put on a servant suit, and he's going to start serving them as if they are the master. What is Jesus trying to say here? Next verse. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. So let me illustrate this for you. I made a little diagram so that we all know what's going on here. So this white square is the house, okay, and that's a table. Back then, the tables were low. Um, and here are the servants inside the house. The master is out of the house. He's at the wedding banquet. What Jesus is saying in this illustration, okay, next slide, is that as the master comes home, okay, he has a crown, that's why you know he's a master, okay, he's going to see the ma- that the servants were right there at the door waiting for him to open the door, like, you've been doing a great job. Now, a little side note about master and servant relationship, okay? Servants were considered to be property of the master back then, meaning whatever these servants did while I was away, if I was a master, okay, they should be doing the things that I would be doing had I been home. They are my representatives, okay? So, so while I'm gone, if I decided that I needed to redecorate my house, you know, like interior design, I'm really bad at that, right? If I'm gone, when I get home, I expect what I envisioned the house to look like be done by the servants by the time I get home. Whatever I would have done, 
it's what the servants would have, should have been doing. So that's, that's what Jesus is telling us here is, when the master comes home and sees that they're doing exactly what I expect them to do, two thumbs up. And then he says this, next slide. <clears throat> he says, I'm going to have them go to the table. I'm going to have them recline. Back in those days, if you're a rich family, and in this story, I guess this guy's rich, because to be able to recline at the table was basically a luxurious thing to do. They had cushions on the ground, and so they would, you know, they would uh, I think they'll lean on their left elbow as they eat with their right hand. That's how they would did it. Did, so he's saying, I'm not only going to just have them sit at the right place, I'm also going to become their servant. So what he's saying here is, next slide, is I'm going to give them the role of master, and I'm going to serve them which has never been heard before. Like, they're like, what, what? The master did what? Like, I don't think masters are supposed to do that, right? What are they being rewarded for? Well, you're, you're being rewarded for doing exactly what I expected you to do while I was gone. Good job, servants, right? So in other words, the servants worked as though the master was present. If the master were here, this is what would have been done. The master wasn't here, but they still acted as if the master was here, right? And because of that, when the, the servants saw the master come home, they saw the master as, they saw the master as the blesser. He's like, you, I love my master. Why? Because the master is serving us. He's, he's taking care of us. He's giving us a lot of things. This master is amazing. I love this master. He, he is my blesser. So that's the first illustration that Jesus gives. Then Jesus goes into a second illustration. Now this is a little confusing because it's the exact same setting with the exact same characters, except these characters have different roles. I know it's kind of confusing, but it'll make sense in a second. Okay, he says this, but understand this. If the owner of the house, owner, who's the owner of this house? Had known at what hour the thief was coming, there's a thief in this story all of a sudden, he would not have let his house be broken into. Oh, the thief tried to break in? What story is this, right? You also must be ready because the son of man, that's code for Jesus, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Wait, are you saying that Jesus is the thief in this story? So let's look at the diagram again. So in this story, the servant is now acting as the owner of the house. The master's been gone for so long, he started thinking, you know what? This is my place. Like, welcome to my house, right? And so he's acting as if he's the owner. He forgot that the place that he's been asked to take care of actually belong to the master. He thinks it's his own place now. Okay? And then, next slide. And so, he says, as the master comes home, right, the servant blocks him and says, you can't come in here. What, what you want to come in here? This is my house. Thief. But in doing so, he's actually telling the owner that he is, that he's telling the master that he is the thief. D does that make sense? He, the, the servant, has so believed that this place belongs to him that when the actual master comes home, he labels him as a thief and won't let him into the house. Right? So the servant believed he was the owner. Like, whatever the case was, because me, the master, was gone for so long, he eventually got to the place where he convinced himself that he owns the place. And because he owns the place, when the servant saw that the master came back, he saw him as a thief. So depending on how you see your, the stuff that you have, if you think this is mine, all mine, and then the one who gave it to you in the first place comes back, all of a sudden he's not a blesser, he's a thief. You see, this is, the, this is one of the main themes of, of the book of Luke, is that God has given his stuff to us, right? So whatever you have, right, he's given it to us as gift. But for some reason, we ended up thinking it was all our stuff, 
And for that reason, when God comes into the picture and says, I want to use the stuff that I've given you to do some amazing things in this world, we shut him out because we don't want you to touch our stuff. Everything that we have is a gift. Okay, God gave me some skills, and because of these skills, I'm able, able to make money with it. And with the money that I have, I'm able to buy certain things. And with the stuff that I've bought, God comes in and says, okay, so I've given you skills, and you've made it into you know, monetary gain. Okay, now, with that, I have some amazing plans in a way that you're going to bless the world. And I'm like, oh, this is my stuff. No, you can't take it. This is mine. Now, depending on how I, you know, if, if I were to say, if I was a good Jew in this story, I would have been like, well, of course this is your stuff, Master. I'm waiting for you to come home. Go ahead and use it in the way you want. It's like, well, okay, Kotz, I want you to go and, and bless the people who have needs. Like, okay. And then I see people's lives change. And I'm like, God, I'm seeing lives change. Did I just do this with, with the stuff that, that you gave me? And he's like, well, yeah, kind of. It was a partnership because I gave it to you and I told you what to do with it. So uh, we did it together. Like, you, you, you did this and I got a front row, row, row seat to see all this amazing thing happen. This is great, God. It's like you're blessing me. Like, I get to experience the blessings that you're pouring out. I get to be the first one to see something amazing happen because this stuff actually belonged to you. Whereas, you know, with the stuff that I have, God comes and says, hey, Kotz, I have an amazing plan. You're going to go give your stuff to these people over here, and when you do it, you're going to see some amazing things happen. It's like, what are you talking about, God? This is mine. I work for this. You want to you come and mess with my stuff? No. And I stiff arm him. I don't want him to come into my life because I just want to hold on to my stuff, right? And so depending on how I view my stuff, Jesus says, you can view God as either a thief or a blesser. And he said, this is a very, very dangerous thing to do because in scenario A, right, we both win. God wins, I win, and the person I just blessed, they win, right? But whereas if I start hoarding and, you know, start believing this is actually my stuff, God would say, well, I want to accomplish that, but I can't. So he loses. I don't get to experience the blessings. And the person who's supposed to be blessed by it loses. And so everybody loses. So hearing this, one of his oldest disciples, his name is Peter, asked Jesus this question. Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Is this for me and my disciples and my, and my guys right here, or is this for all of Israel to hear? Now, what he's asking here is really profound, because what, he's, what Peter is doing in his brain at this point is he's saying, wait a minute, Jesus is here, and he's like, he's God, okay? And I know God gave Israel this land, and now Jesus comes here, but he keeps getting, the door keeps slamming in front of us. Nobody wants Jesus to, like, Jesus shows up in the temple. He says, this is my father's house, right? And the people who work at the temple are like, Jesus, get out. <laughs> we don't want you here, right? Or Jesus would show up and says, hey, these are my people. And the people are like, get out. We don't want you here. These are my people. Don't, don't even think about coming and t- messing with my people. So Peter's asking, are you telling this to us, the 12 disciples, or are you telling it to all of Israel? Because that's what history seems to be telling us. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. I have been stiff-armed by all these people who actually belong to me, right? (laughs) But he's like, actually, you're right. This is actually a lesson for everybody, not just Israel, not just you. It's for everybody. Jesus continues. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager? So he goes into illustration number three here. Again, same setting, same characters, different labels. Who then is faithful and wise manager whom the master put in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? So what is he talking about here? So diagram time. Okay. 
So in this story, the master is like, I got to go. So I mean, let's just say he's going to another wedding banquet, right? But before he leaves, he says, because I have to go, I'm not just going to leave my servants here by themselves. I'm going to appoint one of my servants as the manager of the house. So what he does is, so here, here's, yeah. So he's like, here's, here's my crown. Okay, I got a vamoose. And he, he takes off. <clears throat> he says, so I just gave my, you know, so, so now it's your job to be me here in my absence. Okay, so let's continue the story. It will be good for that servant uh, whom the master finds doing so, doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his positions. So here he says, if the master comes back, or when the master comes back, and he sees this, this manager doing what he's supposed to do, then he'll be very happy. In other words, here's a diagram for that. When the master comes home, he sees, bink, that they're happy, <laughs> Right? And he says, good job. I put you in charge of these servants, now I'm going to put you in charge of everything, right? You are responsible for the few things, I'll put you as the person responsible for many things. He says, everybody wins when that happens. But then he gives the flip side of this story. He says, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. He's like, he hasn't been here in a long time. And so he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Now, what is, what's going on here? I mean, just because the master's been gone, he's like, nah, now nah, I've been waiting to beat up my servants. It's like, is that what's going on? So the Jewish law back then had very strict rules on how to treat servants, none of which that said that you're allowed to beat them, okay? As a matter of fact, as Jews, they almost prided themselves in saying, we have servants, we have slaves, but we at least take good care of them. But the neighboring nations, the neighboring people, especially the Roman Empire who's taken over our land, they, well, they beat their own servants. So here, Jesus is painting a picture of a person, right, who's supposed to be a Jewish manager, who's acting like a Roman, who's acting like somebody who is not part of the Jewish circle. He's like, this, so as people are hearing this story, right, the people who are hearing this is like, oh, I thought this was a Jewish story, but it seems like this, this manager is actually not Jewish. He's actually... He doesn't know God at all. He seems like a Roman, right? He, so, so he's a, and, and he's getting drunk. Like, yeah, this, this does not sound like one of our guys, right? So this is the, the, the illustration for that. So the master comes home, and he finds the servants all passed out because they got beaten down, right? And, he's, and so and the master comes home and says, had I been here, this would not have happened, right? You, as my manager, is a rep, you, you are a representation of me, but you are not representing me accurately at all. Like, you are acting like a Roman. Like, you're not acting like a good Jewish master. Like, what's going on here? Like, you, like you're acting as if you don't even know who your master is. You're acting as if the master doesn't even exist. Right? So Jesus continues the story. He says, The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at the hour he is not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. What's going on here, right? So, you know, if you don't really do your research, you're going to think, so God's going to chop people up and throw them into the lake of fire. Like, that's, that's probably what this verse means, right? No, okay. <laughs> okay, so this is a Jewish idiom, okay? Remember, Jewish people would never cut people up. There's one story in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, towards the end of the book, about... Um, a guy who cuts up this woman and sends his, her body parts to different parts of the world. Okay, but that's an example of what not to do. Okay, so it's not like, because it's in the Bible, we should do it. No, no, no. It's an example of what not to do. 
It's talking about how fallen the nation of Israel was. Anyways, the word, the Greek word there for, uh, what is it, hit, uh, cut him into pieces is actually one word in the Greek, which means to cut into two. So it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean pieces. But it, it means to cut into two. So like if somebody is beheaded, that would be the same word that they would use. And the Jews would never do that. But you know who would? The Roman Empire. They beheaded people all the time. They crucified people. They beheaded people. Actually, Paul the Apostle was beheaded. So uh, there's, there's, you know, so he's, again, referring to the people who are not part of the circle of people who believe in God. Okay, so he's saying, you know what you're doing? You're acting as if God does not exist. You're, act, you're living li- your life like somebody else, right? In other words, if God, uh, if we use, abuse God's gifts, we are living as though God is absent, you might say with your lips, I worship God, I love God, I do all, all things for God. But he says, but when I look at the way you treat other people, when I see the way you use the gifts that God has given you, you're acting as if God isn't around at all. As a matter of fact, you're acting like you don't even know who he is. Because had he had been here, you would have treated them differently. So you're acting like God doesn't exist at all. So we went over three scenarios that Jesus just, you know, he told us a story. Okay, so I'm going to give you a quick summary of what he just talked about because it's important to see the bigger picture. So here he goes. When we act as the owner, okay, so he's saying, if you start acting like the stuff just belongs to you and it's not a gift from God, right, the first thing that happens is that we start to see God as a thief. God gave me something, and he's like, God, hold on to that because I have an amazing plan. You're going to go use it in amazing ways one time in the future, you know, right, in the future sometime, and that day comes. God's like, okay, God, remember that thing I gave you, right? You remember the car? You know, like, you, as a kid growing up, you thought you'd never be able to afford a car, and then when you got your job, your parents were like, that job is never going to get you <laughs> enough money to buy a car, right? And, and then one day you were able to afford a car, and you're like, thank you, Jesus, that one day, you know, I, now I have a car. And now God knocks on your, on your heart and says, Kats, uh, I need you to drive somebody somewhere. There's somebody in the hospital, and this person's trying to get to the hospital. Can you drive that person to the hospital? And you're like, but, but, this is my car. I had plans for this baby, man. I was going to go to the beach and, you know, roll down my window on my CRV and, and act like, you know, I don't know. Right? And, right? and God's like, no, but remember, I gave you this stuff so you could use it for, for, for the betterment of the world. What are you talking about, Kotz? It's like, no, stop telling me what to do with my stuff. You're acting like a thief. You're, you're trying to take my stuff away from me. And so when you start acting like the owner of your stuff, the, the stuff that God has given you, you start seeing God as a thief, right? But the second thing is that then we start to block God out of our lives. We're like, God, I don't want you to touch this. This is my car. You stay away from me, right? You're like, this is my baby. You're like, don't touch it, right? And so, so all of a sudden we're saying, God, I don't want you to be a part of this part of, my, part of my life. Like, I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my life. I'll give you my mind. But don't take my stuff. You know, don't touch it. You could touch all the part of my life, like you could, you could, you could, you know, um, you have my relationships, you have my, you know, whatever, but don't touch my car, you know, okay. And then the third thing that happens is we invite chaos into our world. Like, we didn't let God touch it, and so it starts to decay, it starts to rot, it starts to become chaotic, and we're wondering why, and the answer is right there. It's because we're not letting God touch that area of our lives. I'll give you a really bad illustration. I was, ta- I was talking to my wife last night, like, what would be an equivalent to today's, uh, if I were to give a parable that was writ- written today, what would it be? And we're talking, and we're like, we can't come up with anything that's, like, normal. So here's a really strange version of, of this story. So let's just say um, I'm looking for a place to live, 
And this landlord comes to me and says, hey, Kotz, you could come and stay at our place. You're in your whole family. Really? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much is it? Oh, that's so cheap. He's like, are you sure? It's like, yeah, come on, just stay here. And not only that, I will come to your house every week on a Monday and clean your house for you. What an awesome deal, right? And so you move in, and we're sitting there, we're having great family time, and then I turn on Netflix, I'm binging every single episode of every show that everyone's talking about, and then my wife and I are enjoying our time, and then, you know, uh, my wife looks at me and says, hey, Kotz, uh, you got something on your nose right there. So I grab my tissue, I wipe it, I I throw it at the trash can, and as always, I miss, right? Because it's a lot lighter than you think, there's a lot of wind resistance. So the trash can's over there, but it ends right there. And we're like, should we pick it up? And like, ah, oh, it's okay. He's going to come next week and clean it up for us. I'm like, okay. And so Monday comes, and he comes and cleans it. I'm like, wow, that's great. So next week, we're binging again. We're watching TV, and that's all we do at, at the Ominis. We just watch, you know, and, and the kids, join us. More screen time is good. So let's keep watching TV. And, and you know, again, Katsu got something on your nose, so I take my tissue, I wipe, and I toss, and I'm like, oh, right? And again, I take tissue and wipe my nose and toss. It's like, whoa, what just happened? A crumpled tissue, crumpled to trash, right, landed on top of the other one, and I know how I did it. It's like, whoa, this is beautiful, <laughs> right? And then I throw another one, and another one lands on top of it. It's like, whoa, this has never happened before. Three crumpled tissue balls on top of each other. This is like, this is amazing. We're never going to touch it again. Monday comes, and we're like, and Val's like, hey, Cots, you know when the landlord comes, he's going to clean that up. Like, oh, we don't want to clean it up. This is perfect. Like, we don't want. So, so make sure that you don't open the door for the landlord. It's like, well, he has the keys. Well, you need to push him away. So, so the landlord comes, right? And I'm going to say, hey, thanks for coming, but you cannot come inside today. Why? I'm here to clean your house. No, don't, don't, don't you come in because, because I, I just don't want you to come in. This is too embarrassing to talk about, so I'm not going to tell you why you can't come in here. You cannot come in here today. Next week comes. And by now, I have like a pyramid. It's like a perfect pyramid. Like, how did I do that, right? All this tissue paper, how did this do? Like, it must be the Lord or whatever, right? And, and so, the, so the landlord comes like I'm, with broom in hands, like, I'm here to clean your house. You're like, no, you can't come in here. And after a while, the landlord gets on my nerves. Like, this is my house. How dare this landlord think that he could just come in and, and do whatever he wants with my house? But then a year later, Val looks around and she's like, you know, this house is a dump. Like, look, like there's cobwebs everywhere and there's stains on the wall and look at all the dust. There's the awesome pyramid right there, but still, like this, right? And she looks at me and says, how could we let this gotten so bad? And I look at her and says, I don't know. How did it get so bad? I don't know. But we all know what the answer is. It's because we didn't let the landlord come into my house or to his house, right? to clean it up for us. It's basically by stiff-arming God at the door saying, you are a thief, I don't want you to come into my life. Obviously, my life is going to get chaotic in that area because if you look at Genesis chapter 1, the world was desolate. It was so bad, right? God's spirit comes upon the waters and all of a sudden, out of chaos comes order. Wherever God is, there's order, okay? But by pushing God away and saying, I don't want you to come into this part of my life, of course it's going to become more and more chaotic, Right? Right? And so this is, what God, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I came in here to make a difference in the world with the stuff that I've given you. So you can, be, you can have front row seats at me working, and it's, it's going to feel like I'm serving. It's like, this is just an amazing thing. If you just let me work my thing through you, you're going to see some amazing things. But everybody just stiffed arm God saying, I don't want you to come into this part of my life because this is my stuff. You are a thief. I don't want you in there. And I don't know why things are starting to fall apart. Like, 
yeah, people are getting chopped up in two, and you're like, I don't know what's going on, but still, I do not want you to come into my life. This is the image that Jesus is painting for us. And so, so Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, the reason why there are such bad things happening, right, in certain parts of your life, maybe it's in your finances, maybe it's in your, you know, relationships, maybe it's in the stuff that you have, maybe you become so greedy that your friends are like, I don't like being around this guy anymore, it's like I'm losing friends, whatever it is, and if you're wondering, why, is, why, why are things falling apart in my life? Jesus says, it's because you stiffed armed me from coming into that part of your life. And when I'm not part of that part, I'm not part of your life, right, that, that part is going to start to, it's going to get messy. I don't want you to get into, come to my kid's life because I have a plan for them. And then the life starts to go crazy, and you're like, well, how come my kid's lives are so crazy? And God's like, well, you didn't let me into that part of your life. Now, when we read a passage like this, right, about how the master comes back and the servants aren't ready or the servants are ready, a lot of Christians think, oh, this must be about the end times. This is about the future when, you know, we better, and when Jesus is coming back, everybody look busy. You know, like that's, I think a lot of people get this image when they read a passage like this. But 2,000 years ago, when this, this story was taught by Jesus, the original hearers, the Jewish people who heard this, these stories, they first thought, oh, this isn't about the end of the story. This is about every day of the story. Because they believe that every day God is trying to enter into our lives to make a difference in the world, right? It's not at the end of the story, at the end when the world, you know, like whatever you believe about the end of the world, that's when Jesus is going to show up and do these things. He's saying, no, no, I've been doing these things every day of our lives. So today, God might want, when he, want me to use my car in a certain way. That's going to bless somebody. And tomorrow, God might want to come into my life and use my house for, for some way that God wants me to use that's going to make the world a better place. Maybe the day after that, God wants me to use my money or my phone or whatever. Maybe my family, God wants, me, God wants to use me or he wants to use the extra time I have or maybe some of the skills that I have. Whatever it is, every day, God is coming, the master is coming and knocking at the door saying, hey, I have an idea for some of the things I've given you. Are you willing to participate with me? It's an everyday thing because they believed that every time God comes in and starts using the stuff that he's given us for his will, by, you know, according to the way he wants to use it, we're bringing a little more of new creation into the midst of this old one. This broken world that we live in right now, every time God touches a part of our lives and uses us, we're making the world a little better. So the question that, 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 that God is, and Jesus is probably asking us here is this. Where do you see God's new creation break, breaking in. Oh, the other day, you know, I was on lunch break and I had like 45 minutes to an hour. And so, you know, and I thought God was asking me to use that hour to, to talk to somebody from a different cubicle. And when I did, that person just poured out his heart to me and said, oh, this is what I'm struggling with. Can you pray for me? And I prayed for that person. And all of a sudden I saw this glimmer of hope in the person's eye. I, I can't, God, you gave me the hour, I used it. And then I just, I, I got to see something amazing happen. Wow, this is so great. I just saw new creation breaking into this old one. God, um, I don't, you know, you gave, me, you gave me some extra money this week, uh, and uh, so I used it in the way that you, I thought you told me to use it, and I just saw something amazing. I just saw new creation breaking into this old one. Thank you, God. And God's like, hey, it's a partnership, man. <laughs> I'm here to serve you. You're here to serve me. We work together. We do some amazing stuff, right? So the question is, how often do you see new creation breaking into your life? Do you see new creation breaking into your relationships, into your family? 
How often do you see that happen? And for those of you who are like, I don't see that happen that often, then there's a follow-up question that Jesus would probably ask, which is this. Well, then what do you own that needs to be offered back to Jesus? Maybe the reason we don't see new creation breaking in to the midst of this one right now is because we ended up owning the things that God's given us, saying, God's like, I want to use what you have to do something amazing. And you're like, nope, mine. And so Jesus can't bring new creation in your midst. So two questions again. Where do you see God's new creation breaking in in your life? And if you don't see it happening that often, then the question is, then what do you own that we need to offer back to Jesus? I mean, that's what it comes down to. What does God want to do with our stuff? What does God want to do with my stuff? And the answer to that is, he wants to do amazing things with it. But the problem is, we're holding tight of the things that he's given us, and so we can't, he can't do anything with it because he's not going to violate our, our free will. He's like, I'm not going to force you to give up what you have, but when you're ready to let go, I have some amazing plans with the skills that I've given you, with the personality that you have, the time that you have, the job that you have, the house that you own, the house that you're renting, the car that you're, you know, the, the job that you have, whatever it is, God's like, I have amazing plans for the things I've given you. And all you have to do is offer it back to me, and then you will start seeing new creation break into the midst of this one. So we go back to what I talked about in the very beginning. What does it mean to worship God? It means to let go. It means to let go of the things that he's given us. I'm not just saying waste it. That's, not, that's the opposite of what I'm saying here, right? I'm saying if God asked you, hey, God, if maybe one day God knocks on your heart and says, hey, that thing, that treasure in your life, well, you know I gave that treasure to you so that you could use it for something amazing. Just open your hands, let it go, and watch me do some amazing things. Maybe there's fear involved in this. Maybe that thing that you held on to was the thing that gave you value. I'm the only kid in this block that has this thing. And so, you know, I'm the guy on the block with the nicest car. And if I were to let go of that, I might lose the status that I've gained, you know, or maybe security. Because I have so much of this, I feel secure. And by letting go, I might lose my security. So maybe it's fear. Whatever it is, we have to learn to let go of it so that we can let God work amazing things through us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.